Thank you, and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, there are certain statements in the Bible that tend to generate questions in the minds of the readers. And because of that, you frequently get questions from listeners about those statements. (laughs) You recently got one such question, so in today's program, you're going to address it. Yeah, Scott, I got a question from Chris Tyree, from whom we've gotten questions before. I think I do recall that name. Yeah, I really appreciate Chris for having the interest and taking the time to write. And like you pointed out, Scott, oftentimes there's a statement in the Bible that causes a lot of people to ask what it means. Hmm. So although I may have addressed this question before, I want to talk about it again because I'm sure others have the same question. So, Scott, go ahead and read the question. Okay, as you said, this is from Chris Tyree. He lives in Milledgeville, Georgia, and he writes, Dr. Scripture, I have a question for you about terminology in Genesis. Is the use of the word replenish in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 9 a reference to what a gardener would do to keep plants and what a shepherd would do to breed animals. Okay, so the essence of Chris's question is the meaning of the word replenish. And to give a quick, simple answer, I would say keeping plants or breeding animals is not the best way to understand how the word replenish is being used. He points out it occurs in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 9. Well, specifically, it's Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and chapter 9, verse 1. So, Scott, read Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, did I read the right verse? The word replenish was not in there. <laughs> you read the right verse, Scott. Genesis 1, 28. But what version did you read from? Well, I read from the New American Standard Version, which is what we usually use on the program. Of course. But now I'll read from the King James Version, Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth." So, Scott, did you catch which word the New American Standard Bible used instead of replenish? Yes, it said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, where the King James said, replenish the earth. Exactly. And the way we use those two words today, the words fill and replenish, have differences in their meanings. The meanings certainly overlap, but they definitely have different nuances, simply put. When we use the word replenish, we generally mean to refill something. So reading Genesis 1.28 in the King James Version, it sounds like God is telling Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and refill the earth. Ah, you know, that could be where the idea comes from that the account in Genesis chapter 1 is a second creation. The gap or reconstruction theory is what that's called, right? Yes, the gap being a time between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, when God supposedly created the heavens and the earth, then it all was destroyed, presumably by Satan and the fallen angels, and then God recreates or reconstructs the destroyed first creation, which is described starting in Genesis 1 verse 2. 
So that when we come to the end of day six, and God is talking to Adam and Eve, when he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, it is for the purpose of refilling the earth. The problem with that is, the word the King James translates replenish in Genesis 1.28 is a very common word. And even the King James always translates it to mean simply fill, except in Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 9.1. Not only the New American Standard Bible, which you read, Scott, but every other translation I looked at, including the New King James Version, translates the Hebrew using the word fill in Genesis 1.28 as well as Genesis 9.1. Well, Dr. Scripture, we have not yet read Genesis 9.1. What does it say? (laughs) Good point. Let's do that. Now, Genesis chapter 9 is the record of the aftermath of the flood. And what we're going to find is, using the word replenish here actually fits the context. So go ahead and read Genesis 9.1 in the KJV, Scott. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Hmm, that does fit the context. After the flood, the earth did need to be refilled with people. (laughs) Right. Now, I'll read Genesis 9-1 from the New American Standard Bible. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I am noticing that in these two verses, Genesis 1-28 and Genesis 9-1, God is saying pretty much the same thing to Adam and Eve in chapter 1 and to Noah and his family in chapter 9. Good observation. In fact, in the Hebrew... What God says to Adam and Noah is identical. So the King James translation is actually being consistent in its translation of those two verses. However, nowhere else in the entire Old Testament does the King James Bible translate the Hebrew word, which is male, with the word replenish. Nowhere else? Nowhere else. The word replenish only occurs twice in the KJV. All the other 250 plus occurrences of the word male are translated with the English word fill or one of its forms. Here's an example. Before Genesis 1.28, the Hebrew word male occurs in verse 22. Read it, Scott. Okay, in the King James Version, Genesis 1.22 says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. That's the same thing God said to Adam and to Noah, but here he's talking to the fish and the birds. (laughs) Correct. This is on day five of creation. And notice the King James, as do all the other translations, uses the word fill. It says, fill the waters in the seas to translate male. Let's look at one more, Scott. I'll read Genesis 6.11 in the NASB, and you read the KJV. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Okay. So I know we've spent a fair bit of time comparing these verses from the New American Standard and King James versions, but I think it's an important principle to understand by studying the actual terms used in these translations. The translator's choice of words has a definite impact on our understanding of the meaning and intent of the original author. For some reason, the translators of the KJV chose to give the sense that Adam and Eve were to refill the earth when God was giving them the commandment to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis. 
Now, was that because they were doing so with a gap theory perspective? I don't know. But it did then contribute to the idea that the earth was full of people before God created Adam and Eve. And God was telling them to fill it again. And if that were true, then that could explain the idea that some people have of a pre-Adamic race of people on the earth. That's right. However, as I hope we've shown, by taking the time to look at the various examples of the use of that Hebrew word, male, there's no contextual reason in Genesis 1.28 to give the sense of refilling the earth, or to use the King James word, a replenishing of the earth with people. The only reason one would have that idea is if they were assuming the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1 was in fact a second creation or reconstruction of the first creation described only and wholly in Genesis 1.1. By only and wholly, you mean that the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, is the only reference to the first creation and it is what God, in a sense, reconstructs starting in verse 2. You clarified that very well, Scott. Thank you. And that description of the meaning of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, is what I am proposing is not what the Bible means. Well, Dr. Scripture, this has been fascinating to me, and it highlights the importance of determining and sticking to the original intent of the author to figure out the meaning of whatever the Bible says. <laughs> and that especially applies to those passages where the terminology in a translation, English translations in our case, tends to raise a lot of questions, as in the case of Genesis 1.28. That's why, when it comes to describing how I go about determining what the Bible means, I prefer to identify myself not as a literalist, or a fundamentalist, or even a young earther, but as an originalist. Hmm. I am fully convinced that to properly understand the Bible, you need to determine what the original author meant. Now, that brings up an interesting idea, because someone could ask, who is the original author of, for example, the account of creation in Genesis 1. Mm -hmm. I mean, until day six, there was no human to observe what is described there. Did God tell Adam what he did? And then Adam wrote it down? Would that mean God or Adam was the author? Or was it even written down in Adam's day? You hear about how stories were verbally transmitted through the generations. Yeah, often that comes from the idea that they didn't have enough intelligence or intellectual advancement to uh, write. Well, that's sort of silly. But anyway, those are excellent questions, Scott. The fact of the matter is, we don't know. I suggest we can't know how the original narrative was transmitted to Adam or Noah or any other person who could have written it down. What we do understand by faith, however, is that God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired Moses to write down the Genesis account, not only of creation, but of the flood and the Tower of Babel and then the account of Abraham, including it in the books of the law or Torah. And the exact terminology Moses used was precisely how God wanted it transmitted and was precisely what Moses meant to communicate when he originally wrote it. And so then when we are interpreting the Bible and trying to understand it, what we need to do, as difficult as it is sometimes, we need to figure out just what Moses meant. 
Thank God we have huge numbers of transcripts of ancient Hebrew documents, and in the case of the New Testament, Greek documents, enabling us to deduce the original writing with great certainty. And we have knowledgeable scholars who, though they don't always agree by any means, are able to produce reliable translations of those transcripts of the original writings of Moses and Joshua, Matthew and John. And when questions arise, we need to humbly ask the Lord for help to understand and sometimes be willing to live with some ambiguity as to the original meaning. Because at this time in history, we simply don't have enough information to be positive about the meaning. But there are principles we should always apply in the pursuit to understand the meaning of the Bible. And context is just about the most important guide. And I submit that the New King James Bible and the NIV and the NASB are translated with the proper context in mind when they say in Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.